We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, but today doesn't feel that way. We are divided in more ways than one, and the media and the powers that be all have their own agenda. The people of this great nation no longer care about the truth, they only care about the side they are on. At Poor360, I am trying to change that. We're bringing you the facts and history so we can all learn something and make our own decisions. Tune in every Tuesday to be a part of that journey. What on earth is that? It's a Journey into Comics Network production! Went forward in time to view alternate futures, to see all the possible outcomes of the coming conflict. How many did you see? 14,605. How many did we win? Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Journey Into Comics, the podcast that's dedicated to everything nerd. With your host, the podfather himself, Nate Phillips, and introducing his new co-host, Tyler McLaughlin. You should have gone for the head. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another episode of Journey Into Comics. It's JIC 205. No, not 205. <laughs> Fuck me sideways. God damn it. No. We're falling. I'm, I'm just going to jump in here and let everyone know that we are not having a good day. We're just not. Just not. Listeners out there, folks, everybody that we like and care about and that cares about us, not it's having not a good day. It's not 205, bro. That's 90 episodes ago. Nate, uh, Nate's in a dark place. And, um, you know, we just recorded 39 minutes of an episode and had some technical difficulties. Yeah, technical difficulties. Plugged in microphone, wrong hole, bad time, no record, sound not happen. Oh, no sound. On my end, and that's that's not typical. I'm better than that, damn it. I feel really bad, but uh, it's all right. welcome to Journey Into Comics 295, you motherfuckers. I finally figured out how to say it and speak the language. Welcome back to our show. I'm your host, Nate. Today, joining me once again, he's like the stepdad of the Journey Into Comics Network because he's all kinds of cool and he'll bang your mom and you won't feel bad about it. Welcome back once again, the uh, savage one himself, T.Y. That is still, you know, I feel like I've said this before, but that that's my favorite one. Like ever, we're gonna. We're. I'm glad that you think it's it's your favorite one ever because now you're officially the stepdad of JICN, uh, which is great. It's just good because, like, you know, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed in in most of us. Like, not us as the network, just most people. So that yeah, kind of, like that kind of fits with my stepdad us, motif. Yeah, totally. But um, you know, like. I guess everybody has a different. If you ha- if you've ever had a stepdad, you have a different relationship with them. Everybody like my stepdad was a douchebag. You're st- like a cool version of a stepdad. I had a stepmom, and it was she's well. I have a stepmom, and when I was a kid, she's fucking awful. But now as an adult, she's cooled out yeah, with you. Yeah, she's. I mean, we're 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 um we're kosher. You're not like two cats in an alley going. No. <laughs> I mean, for a while, for a while, it was. Yeah. It, it's rough in those parts, man. Mm-hmm. But uh, first of all, I just want to say for the listeners who can't see you, you look great, man. Thank you. 
Uh, you have been putting yourself through agony and misery. Uh, <laughs> it's actually not that bad. But you're being transformative, my friend. Let's talk about it. Uh, so, as let's tread this waters again. <laughs> not a big deal. Uh, I started the carnivore diet. So, um, basically, just like vegan, like being a vegan, it's a, it's a, um, man, what's the word? It's an, an exclusion di- diet. So, you eat a very, very strict. Uh, number of things to see how your body reacts to, ad- you know, either positively or adversely to certain things. So, like for me, it was it's been lots and lots of carbohydrates and sugar has made my body like bloated and inflamed. Where like the last, I don't know, like it's it's gotten really bad. Like the last six or eight weeks, I have felt like just sick and fucking bloated and just like gross. So, um, elimination diet was the word that I was trying to find. So on this elimination diet, basically you just eat meat and animal products and, um, you know, so your beefs, your turkey, mm -hmm. chicken, ham, yeah, it's supposed to lower the inflammation markers in your blood. And for the first time in probably four or five years, um, you know, I woke up like six days ago, seven days ago, something like that. It was like, it took a couple days. So like eight days ago on day two, I woke up and my hands didn't hurt for the first time in like four or five years. So, uh, that's, that's a fucking big deal. Uh, with, with, it really is. And it's, it's a huge, uh, step to take to dedicate yourself to one kind of elimination diet because it does get hard. You wear yourselves out on different things. I mean, I'm sure you're not a fan of steak anymore. Uh, No, I, I, well, I mean, yeah, I tried to eat. The majority of my uh, sustenance was uh, steak for the first couple days because I went and bought like a big, like fucking gigantic pack of ribeyes. And it's like, all right, you're going to eat ribeyes for like a week. And I just can't, I can't, can't eat it anymore. I don't like beef that much anyway. Um, you know, I'm more a chicken and fish guy and pig. Pig's my favorite besides fish. So, um, who doesn't love ham and bacon? Come on. I mean, lots and lots of bacon, but I feel good. Um, you know, my mood is better. My like stress and anxiety level is better. Um, I don't feel depressed, which, you know, anyone who's listened to the show or talked to me in person, uh, especially over the last couple of years, like, um, I went through a really, really dark time where, uh, depression was really bad. And then like just through sheer force of will, like I got it under control, but then I was, um, like projecting my, my depression on everybody else. So I was mad all the time. And then I started to get some sleep, which I hadn't had for years. And then, you know, that made life better, but you know. With seasonal depression and then the coronavirus and, you know, all that, all that bad jazz, um, you know, this diet is helping me make feel, make me feel better. So it's good. I'm enjoying it. I'm glad. Uh, you know, again, treading the waters, but, uh, (laughs) I did, I did ask you this in the first attempt that like did, has it helped with migraines? I think that's a very important thing to cover because, I know my listeners, our listeners, the network's listeners know my history of migraines. Mm-hmm. It's not really a secret. I, I suffer from them pretty much my whole life, and I've always been looking for the thing to eliminate them permanently. Well, and I think um, 
you know, your your diet, your diet and the addition of exercise, I think are are two things that everyone should lick. Everyone who has, you know, autoimmune disorders or just nagging ailments or, you know, things things with their body that doctors can't figure out, look into uh, diet and exercise. And I don't say that like one of the douchey people that say, have you drank more water? Do you, do you drink water? Like, come like on. Like that's the end-all, be-all yeah, diet like, relief. yeah. Um, I mean, to side note, I am drinking water now, thanks to good. you. Um, water, water, and I just finished my uh, my Valhalla Java coffee from Death Wish Coffee, which I for sure want to talk about that again too. Um, but if you if you cut things out of your like, so my dad, I brought this up the first time. My dad has struggled with autoimmune disorders his whole life. He's got fibromyalgia, which is not something That's that, not a fucking joke. It's not something that's fake. All you fucking people out there that say it's that think it's fake, come to my fucking front door and tell me it's fake. I'll fucking You'll beat, beat your ass. To death. Because it's yeah. I will make you feel fibromyalgia. It is not I fake. Think that's really crazy because your dad has fibromyalgia. My mom also has fibromyalgia. Really? It's really Yeah, that's a very strange uh yeah. Continue. So, so it, it, it's it, it's incredibly detrimental to your body. Um, you know, I was explaining it to Skylar yesterday because at some point I just didn't mention it to her. But um, you know, my dad's been on chemo for the last couple years to Ugh. fight his fibromyalgia. So his doctor is prescribing him medication that kills you to kill the fibromyalgia, so he doesn't die f- or kill himself from, from the fibromyalgia. Yeah. You know, so it's an awful, awful thing. Um, you know, I'm trying to get him to maybe try an elimination diet and, 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 you know, see if that helps. But as far as migraines go, um, you know, through like experimentation, he figured out that onions, if he eats a lot of onions, it'll give him a migraine. For me, the two things that cause migraines more than anything are, are sleep deprivation and excess of caffeine. So I love, I love coffee. I love the way that caffeine makes me feel. I hate the way that I feel like when I'm jittery, um, you know, because it just it's it's um, it's extenuated by or accentuated by uh, like stress and anxiety. You know, it makes it worse. Totally. Um, but if I am sleep deprived and I drink, like say say I only have like two or three hours of sleep and then I drink uh, a pot of coffee, I am most certainly going to have a migraine that day. Because it's just a recipe for disaster. Mm-hmm. Your body is being picked up by the caffeine, and it's elevating you. But the point you crash is a actual. Yep. It's a painful crash. Yep. It's, I I hundred percent feel that. And the worst the worst migraines that I've ever had were when I was sleep deprived and trying to trying to fuel my body with caffeine to keep going because of work or or whatever. It, it was work. I'll just be honest. It was because of work. Um, but yeah, so. I figured those out. Now I'm figuring out that, you know, I have I have I've had a a very minimal amount of sugar and carbohydrates, just what's in the meat and the eggs and and the bullshit that I've eaten. Milk, you know, there's a little bit of sugar in milk. Um just that is all I've had for 10 days. You know, and I can't really say like weight loss wise, uh, you know what it's doing for me. Historically, people who are on the carnivore diet do lose a decent amount of weight, but is that just because they're only eating meat, or because they're not eating the the standard American diet of Oreos and Cheetos and, and sugar, and sugar, sugar, sugar corn and sugar corn and sugar corn? So, 
I don't know. I feel good. Um, you know, this is this is ten days of it today. Uh, as you guys are listening to it, it'll be day eleven. I think I'm gonna start adding like very very uh, a very very small amount of things in my diet. Um, as far as like greens, I think I'm gonna add greens back or 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 um, like cruciferous vegetables like broccoli or. You know, I don't, I don't really fuck with cauliflower, but you know, I might, I might try it. You know, cauliflower is not a vegetable that I normally eat, so maybe. I was gonna tell you how I make cauliflower, and as soon as I said, as soon as in my head I went to say it, I was like, oh, but he won't be able to do that because of the diet, because it's deep fried with breading, and breading <laughs> is sugar. Yeah, and that's I, I, what I, you're trying to get the fuck away from. I can't, like, uh, I can't fry, I can't fry up some cauliflower, but you know, I, I don't know. Maybe I'll try it. So we'll see. Uh, I think that it's good to try to reintroduce some things into your diet because you can find out like, oh, I don't need to cut out broccoli. I'm I'm actually healthy. I, you know, we are all built differently to yes. handle everything differently. So you know, the things that make you allergic don't make me allergic. But the things that I eat might, you know, honestly, one of the worst migraines I ever had that was an immediate trigger, like. <clears throat> And I know you know this too. Sometimes there's like a slow release decay with the migraine where you'll have like the symptoms first. You'll be like, I don't really feel right. I'm a little nauseous. Yeah. Things are getting a little dizzy. I'm like, what? Like, what's up? Like, and sometimes I don't know about you, but I don't immediately pinpoint it as migraine because it's like they're, it's subtle. Yeah. Sometimes, then, sometimes it's just like you feel like shit. And then boom, it fucking hits yep. you, you know? But, Sometimes something can happen and immediately, as soon as whatever X is in that instant, you feel the migraine hit you, whether you're smacked in the head, which is like, obviously you're going to hurt. But like for me, one time I tried to eat and I haven't had one since watermelon Jolly Rancher, bro. Really? It was so straight up sugary. It triggered my migraine immediately. It was the worst thing. It was awful. I mean, there we are. This is the year 2020. We are at the point where there's enough scientific data that backs up that, that sugar is bad for you um sugar's bad okay you know i i won't i won't go through my whole like unnecessary like sugar is bad rant that i did the first time but i will say that it, it is it is proven fact not conjecture it's not anecdotal when we were kids the sugar industry and before that you know this started in the 50s the the sugar industry paid the government and and all the organizations that it needed to pay off to paint fat as bad and sugar as as okay. So, you know, we went from the 50s to the 90s, or yeah, the 50s to the 90s where fat was bad. And, you know, remember those fucking, remember the pork chops in the 90s where they had no fucking fat on them? You know, yes. they were like that fucking big. You burnt them every time. You burnt them every time because there was fucking nothing. They might as well have been cardboard. You might as well microwave it, and you probably get a better cook yeah, out of the pro- fucking thing. Probably. <laughs> so, so like in in the in the <coughs> early two thousands, <coughs> excuse me, in the late nineties, early two thousands, we figured out that you know fat's not that bad, but carbs carbs are the enemy. Um, you know, and that's when shit like the Atkins diet got popular, and um, oh god, South Beach diet, South Beach diet, and all that bullshit, and then, <sighs> and then you know we get through the the early to mid two thousands, and then. And then the the fucking information the 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 levy breaks and all the information comes out that the sugar industry has literally spent billions and billions of dollars to mis- capitalize ed- to, on it to miseducate us and to, yeah. to make us think the opposite. Sugar is the worst thing for you that you could ever put in your body. 
Hey, what's the disease you get from drinking too much in your liver? Uh, Is that cirrhosis? Yes. Cirrhosis of the liver. Mm -hmm. Do you know how a person who never drank a day in their life can get cirrhosis of the liver? Sugar. Uh, Overload of sugar. That's actually how Sarah's grandma passed away, bro. Really? Absolutely. I know that as a fact. That's why we try, as, as much as I end up with the munchies and break that rule, try to be mindful of sugar intake. You know, that's a real genuine, like, life lesson. Mm-hmm. Like, I know somebody who never drank, never touched alcohol, died of an alcohol-related, essentially, illness, and it was because of sugar. Yeah, that tells you I mean, everything you need to know. I mean, it's know. awful for you. Think about it. Like, you drink fucking your four or five Mountain Dews a day. Like, I, I love it, just like everybody else, you know? Fucking hit God, me. God, I haven't had a Mountain Dew in fucking so long. Dude, I, I can't drink a straight Mountain Dew because it makes me feel like I'm going to have a migraine. I feel fucking Too much sugar. Aw- feel fucking awful. Sugar overload. But, like, like if I hit... If, like, okay, let me rephrase that. I can't drink, like, a can or a bottle of Mountain Dew. Like, Taco Bell, I fuck with Taco Bell's Mountain Dew. Like, it doesn't have as much sugar, I feel like. Um, and it also doesn't taste like metal or plastic, but... Uh, <laughs> bubba <bubba> bingo <laughs> um, It's like... It's fucking... It, it just makes you feel like fucking shit, man. You know, I haven't... This is the first time in, in probably 10 years that I haven't had a pop for 10 days. Um, you know, I feel good. I'm, I'm good with my water and my coffee and that I don't put cream or sugar in. Um, I'm good with my tea that I also don't put sugar in because you don't need it. It's fucking tea. Just drink it. Oh, man, dude. What's your, like, we didn't even talk about this earlier, and surprisingly, but, like, let's talk about tea for a second because I'm a big tea guy. I have an assortment of teas, jasmine teas, uh, peach oolong tea, Mm -hmm. uh, a, a, a red rooibos tea, which is fucking amazing. But my favorite tea of all time is honestly sleepy time, bro. Sleep. I will double bag a sleepy time right before bed and have the best rest of my life. I, I fuck with sleepy time tea for sure. I don't normally, Ugh. I don't normally drink hot tea, um, but when I do, I do like like a good English black tea, or oh, yeah. or like an actual like an Earl Grey tea. I, I I really really like, especially like with breakfast. You know, if I'm eating like just, um, man, what's the word? Like just a. Uh, like a, just a piece of toast, you know. If sure. I've just got like just a plain old piece of toast, nothing, nothing uh, fancy, like I don't know, Earl Grey tea goes really good with that to me, I guess. Um, but yeah, well, I fully agree, man. Uh, I just recently picked up some English breakfast tea. Yeah, and it's built. It's got caffeine in it. Mm-hmm. Like that's the whole point of it. And honestly, I did not like it. I like my tea without caffeine. Like I can without question say i like it way more as just a caffeineless drink really yeah for sure um but uh we were talking earlier about it and i want to just bring it up again that i am jamming on this valhalla java coffee let's uh let's hear about that it's death wish brand coffee got it for sarah for her birthday which is going to be on wednesday in a couple days here as you're listening listener Wherever you are in the world, a lot of listeners from New York. Shout out New York. We're uh, unless you're some sort of weirdo listening to me from New York, and then that's scary. But yeah, what's up, New York? Uh, I'm gonna just keep saying New York. Anyways, so I've got that uh, coffee for Sarah for her birthday, and 
uh, on a recommendation from our old bass player, Rob. He's like, dude, it's really good. And apparently, I didn't even know this when I ordered it. I literally didn't know until it got here because there's like a little thing on the back. It's apparently a Zach Wild brand endorsed coffee. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna, and it's go ahead. Go ahead. I'm no, gonna, you go ahead. I'm gonna read a little. Uh, little. I'm on their website right now. I'm gonna read a little uh, snippet from their Valhalla Java Odin Forest Blend. Yes, the blended coffee. So not the one that you've got, but uh, carefully crafted for the world's most powerful guitarist, Zach Wild. Forged from the volcanic soils of Indonesia and nutrient-rich soils of Central and South America, Deathwish Coffee Company presents Valhalla Java Odin Force Blend. This artisan roast has been carefully crafted for the world's most powerful guitarist, Zach Wild. With maximum flavor and a high caffeine content, this blend will bring you back from the nights you thought you'd never wake up from. Do you bleed back? And it says the coffee notes are nutty, chocolatey, sweet with a smooth finish. Absolutely 100% agree with their description of their own coffee. Hopefully, they could describe their own shit. But like, huh. here's the thing, man. It, it's complex because when it's hot, it has a very specific flavor. Mm-hmm. And then as it cools down over time, as you're sipping it through your afternoon or your early morning or whatever, whenever you're drinking your coffee, like the flavors are so complex that it like slowly degrades into like a different flavor profile. So it is nutty and it is chocolatey, but those aren't happening at the same time at all. Mm -hmm. You know, the nutty and the, and the, you know, heavier flavor there is more in the beginning and it more mellows into kind of a chocolate note at the end. It's very, very well blended coffee. Like it is worth the 1599. I think it was for the bag. Uh, We've, definitely drink it and i'm i'm all about it it's got me like i've the, it's officially hit me now i don't know if you can tell i'm talking a little bit faster but mm-hmm. the the valhalla jaffa is like i feel like ultimate warrior up in this motherfucker <laughs> or michael jordan could speaking be speaking of of people dude i don't know if you've been watching that i have not the, watched the last dance yet i've been waiting oh okay so let me break down why it's so brilliant because i don't know if any, but like you hear, you see the title, The Last Dance, and I was like, oh, they're just going to like cover the 98 Bulls. You know, Jordan, Pippen, Rodman, and that team, Phil Jackson's last year. That's awesome. And that team, as I've said to you time and time again, they were my team. Like mm-hmm. when I was a kid, that was what me and my dad did. It was just us. You know, he and my mom had divorced, so we just spent all of our time in the NBA season watching Bulls games. My biggest regret is we weren't, we didn't have enough money to ever get to actually go see the Bulls in that era, which would have been fucking amazing. Oh, you know? yeah, it would have been incredible. Um, But The Last Dance is so beautifully done because, yeah, it's a documentary about the 98 season where they were given unlimited access and cover everything from behind the scenes, and it's incredible. You see shit you've never seen before and hear about conversations and things of that nature. But then they also do such a brilliant job of weaving the history of the Bulls, including Michael Jordan from the time he's drafted in 84, all the way through to that 98 season. Kind of like uh, Tarantino-esque, where they're back and forth, back and forth. So, like, episode three heavily focuses on Rodman and his story, and it kind of goes through him, starting in Detroit, going to Houston, or uh, San Antonio, excuse me, and then ending up in the Bulls when they didn't really know if they wanted him, and he didn't even give a fuck if he played for the Bulls, amazingly. Right. He was just like, yeah, whatever, like, I don't care. So, like, it's just an amazingly well-done piece, and they're just, I just, I will say this, if you haven't started it, you might want to wait till all ten parts are out so you can just binge it, honestly. 
Because I'm sad that there aren't 10 parts out right now, and I tried to binge it, and I got to six, and I'm like, no, that's it, no! I can't, you can't leave me... Okay, so where they are in the timeline, in episode six, they've just completed the third three, their first three-peat. They just beat the Sun, uh, Phoenix Suns, for their first three-peat in 93, and they're kind of building on the lead-up to him quitting the team because of his father's death. Like, that was just, they were just building to the cusp of that and then ended the episode just out of nowhere and I was like oh gotcha. fuck you dicks but uh it's great man it's especially if you liked that team if you liked the bulls if you liked that era of basketball which honestly the 90s when you go back retrospectively is maybe the most amazing explosive talented era of basketball ever hands down i mean it's in an era where you had Jordan, Pippen, Rodman, you had Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, and you and, and it was all in the '90s, and you had Allen Iverson and Kobe and Shaq. Shaq. I mean, it, you had Akeem Olajuwon and Clyde Drexler. I mean, it's the, to nerd out in a different manner and talk about sports for a minute. Like that was my passion at one point too. Was that era of ball, and you know, it changes a lot, and you have. You know, the changing of the guard with LeBron in the early 2000s and stuff. And then where we are now, where basketball is not even really a thing until we get to the next season and figure out how we're going to do it without crowds. Um, it's it's weird, man. It It is. Uh, it's interesting to look back, though, for sure. It gives you moments, man. There are moments that just hit me like right in the soul. I'm like, oh, I lived that moment in real time and I'm feeling that emotion. I'm like a little kid again looking up at the TV. It's it's incredible. It really very, very, very well done. Uh, but I'll stop rambling on the last <laughs> dance and uh, move on to some new dances as uh, we got a pretty crazy confirmation for something coming to the Mandalorian season two. And I don't even know if we officially talked about your thoughts on it. I think we just kind of briefly touched on it the first time. So maybe we'll do this a little bit differently. But like, let's talk about it. What are your thoughts on Boba Fett? We've got coming to um, Mandalorian? Uh, Tamora Morrison as fucking uh, Boba Fett season two. You know, <sighs> for those of you who don't know, Tamora Morrison is Jango Fett. Correct? Yep, 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 yep. And the, all the clones. Just, yeah, all the clones. But. Um, you know, I, I saw this the other day, and then it, and then it popped into the group chat, and you know we were kind of discussing it here and there, and I was like, you know what, I'm not really, I'm not really that excited about it, because, and 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 don't misunderstand me here, just because, like, for so many years I've been a fan of Boba Fett, and people are like, yeah, you'll never get Boba Fett anything. And then we get the Mandalorian and it's like, okay, you know, like I don't need, I don't need to have Boba Fett. Like <laughs> Din Djarin's cool enough. Din Djarin, yeah. Like he's the man. Yeah. Like I really, it really doesn't have to focus on Boba Fett. I just want Mandalorian stuff. Here's my guess quickly. Go ahead. My guess is that he's going to be almost like the Luke of the force awakens for season two the guy they're on the hunt for the whole time, they're not sure who they're looking for. We're going to slowly be revealed through time who it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And then he'll, he'll be like an older dude, but continue on with your, uh, your feelings. So like another part that makes it interesting is, you know, now they have to validate that, that he got out of the fucking Sar- Sarlacc pit, you know, they did it in the expanded universe. It was Canon for years. And then they changed all that. And they're like, okay, well, Boba Fett, uh, no one really knows what happened to him. All right, cool. Bye. Yeah. Like, like, thanks, fucking Star Wars. Like, I'm glad 
I'm glad now, you... wait a minute. Let, let me just... My brain just hit a little quick thought. Didn't Boba show up in Shadows of the Empire? Yes. He's one of the guys... He's like one of the last bosses of that game, right? Correct. So... That's prior to Return of the Jedi, though. Oh. 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 Remember? Remember? Because, like... Dude, beat. it has been literally since that game came out, so don't ask me about the story because I don't know it, okay, but I well, love the game. Well, I'll never forget it. So uh, <laughs> remember when you're on Hoth mm-hmm. and then you escape Hoth? Yeah. Like, I mean, it's 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 before Return of the Jedi. Oh, I guess you're right. You, yeah, you got me there, though. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so, uh, here, so they have to validate the fact that Boba Fett got out of the Sarlacc the best way that's ever been done is that he somehow got a thermal detonator off of his belt, blew the fucking Sarlacc up, jetpacked his ass out, he's laying in the desert fucking dying, and who comes and saves him? Dengar. And him and Dengar team up for a good long time, you know, because Boba feels... um, Uh, He owes a life debt to Dengar. He's basically got a life debt to Dengar, and Dengar is like easy to work with and not it, really about that not really about that and this whole time <clears throat> you know bosk is fucking hunting uh boba fett because he hates him because he's boba fett's biggest competition or boba fett is his biggest competition so there's a lot of, of 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 um you know history there as far as the characters go you know this i i would love to see a dengar cameo um you know and and bosk for that matter really like the original bounty hunter crew i think if they just sprinkle a couple of them in season by season that it'd be fantastic um but you know i've argued with blaine obviously about this but dave filoni uh you know now the kevin feige of of star wars essentially has said that uh boba fett and jango fett are not mandalorians and they wear the armor they, they wear the armor that's it like you're not arguing about it they are not mandalorians wasn't well, I mean technically Django's Kaminoan, right? Because he's a Kaminoan clone. Django is not a clone though. Boba Boba is. Boba, well, you, yes. Thank you. You know what I meant yep, though. Yep, yeah, yep, thank yep. you. So um, Django Fett is from a Mandalorian place called Concord Dawn. Um, but anyway, so Filoni said that. Then George Lucas came out and said, "Yes, I never planned for them to actually be Mandalorians. They're just wearing the armor." Uh, very similar to a character from the expanded universe called Joda Cast, which wears v- almost identical armor to Boba Fett, except instead of the red accents around the, like the helmet visor, it's yellow, and his armor is a lot more yellow themed. Uh, you know, he was a Boba Fett copycat. And Joda Cast, what a call out, bro! That was uh, uh, slanging that Star Wars dick. That was really, really. As a kid, it was really, really fun to read those stories. Uh, you know, and I, I'm pretty sure I still have a Joda Cast action figure around here somewhere. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, it's it's basically Boba Fett, just yellow theme instead of red. Um, but yeah. Lots of lots of history there. Lots of cool things that they can do. My hope is they will do them because it's Dave Filoni. Because he feels like he's trying to right a lot of wrongs. I feel like he is like the course correct master. Because they're like, hey, Dave Filoni, we're going to give you an impossible task. But it's not that impossible. To, but it's also going to be kind of impossible. Because what we want you to do is somehow cleverly in a couple shows 
weave together all of the fabrics we've created that have nothing really to do with each other Mm -hmm. and make them super interconnected. And he was like, oh, okay, great. Hey. Yeah, I mean, I, he he's had a lot of success. I mean, he's been he's been doing a really good job. So, I mean, so why not? Here's my here's my visual for for the 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 Boba Fett uh, meets Din Djarin. So they track him down. He's on a planet. He's the only one on the planet, or there's very few people on this planet. It's a very isolated area, you know, somewhere out beyond the Rishi Maze. And uh, there you go. Out beyond the uh, Rishi Maze. Yeah, yeah, you know. You know what's up. So um, he finds this, like, little house or... Settlement. Settlement. Thank you. Great word, settlement. And enters into a dark room, and to the left there's this armor that's just fucked and it's it's what was Boba's armor, and yeah. there's like you know part of the part of the helmet's fucking literally missing. You know maybe one of the shoulder pads has got a chunk blown out of it. You know maybe he took something to the dome and survived. And there he is sitting in the corner, fire lit, t- back to the door because he already knows who's coming for him. He's like expecting it. Almost, uh, almost Thanos in Endgame. Kind of, but here's where the difference is because he's sitting there by the fire and the door cracks open and he goes. Damn, kid, what took you so long? And that's where we leave it, you know? And we don't know why, what he's going to do, having officially found Boba. Well, one of the things that I think, I love that, one of the things that I think would be, you know, really interesting as far as the character, kind of a role to fill would be, you know, Quill is is gone. And, And Quill was, at least in season one, he was there to fill that kind of mentor that guardian, that yeah. guardian, that fatherly figure to Boba Fett, and now, or not Boba Fett to, J- to Din Djarin. I'm sorry. Now you've got Boba, who, or yeah, you've got you, you've got Boba who is who has got to be you know elderly because of the timeline. Um, you know, it would make sense to basically plug and play. You know, he's this this um, uh, mentorish type character, and I think you could do a lot of really interesting things too with um, Giancarlo Esposito's character. You know, he might go looking for Boba Fett. Oh my god, dude! You just gave me a crazy idea on that. See, you get my brain firing with this shit in the Java Coffee, and I'm like, <laughs> meow, 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 meow. so like. It would be awesome if he starts telling Din, like, the story of what happened. Like, he's kind of giving him the background. They can do flashbacks. That way you get Boba in his prime. You get some cool shots of that. You know, what really people want, you know? And then while also keeping the story different enough to not be expected. And you do something along the lines of, like, you know, Moff Gideon hunted us. And Din's like, us? What do you mean? And he's like, the people, the people I knew, the, the old guild, the old way. And starts, like, flashback to Dengar getting hunted down by Moff Gideon. Flashback to Forlom getting hunted down. Maybe not killed by Gideon, but severely wounded, you know? Uh, Bosk never fucking happens. Bosk knows not to fuck with Gideon. He's one of the guys that's on the inside. He just leaves it alone. He's like, I know who you're looking for, and I'm not in a part of it, you know? So there, you know that that can lead for some sort of history with Bosk. But then you can really play up that here's what the parts of Boba we didn't get, and what you missed, and here's why you missed it, because mm-hmm. there was other shit at play. Here's where he is now. Maybe he's on his deathbed. Maybe not. 
but he's battle hardened. He is what is a former shell of himself, but not really, you know. And he has just enough information or foresight to maybe help defeat Moff Gideon to get the dark saber back. Whatever the end goal is that they they set up the MacGuffin, as it were. Well, one thing that I think you know, we've talked a lot about Darth Maul and 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 you know, may, not this go around, but last go around we did. So I don't the Darth Maul stuff kind of speaks for itself and you know it's kind of cut and dry how it has to lay out as far as season flashbacks flashback it's got to be flashbacks um unless they cloned him or did something you know somehow kept his body alive after fucking Obi-Wan straight murked him murked him he's fucking dead he's gone dunzo come on man and you can't write a better ending to Maul's story than to be struck down by the apprentice of the guy who you killed right in a fucking brutal fashion. Well, and, you know, to, 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 to talk briefly on that, like, the ending of Darth Maul and Rebels is so, like, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, man, what, it's, 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 fuck, it's perfect. I, I can't think, I can't think of the word that I was going to use, like, Paul's, He air jerked off and then just went, fuck. oh, fuck, perfect. Um, like, it just makes sense, you know, and it's so... It's so sincere when you've got Maul and and Obi Wan like they they share final words together. Like it's not it's not just ah I defended myself and I killed him. Like they they had a relationship. They had a kinship. Almost. They were each other's constant foe. And they were almost the same person. Yes. Think about it. Obi Wan very easily could have went the route that Darth Maul did, especially and- after Darth Maul. F- fucking was shunned by the emperor after he came back like nah you're not good enough for me like obi-wan could have went that way especially after all the shit with anakin you know so like love the character i want to see more darth maul let's do some some maul shit uh you know outside of the clone wars and rebels let's see some live action fucking ray park shit again i want i want that I feel like Dave Filoni is the Star Wars Bay of the of the Star Wars universe because he's just like sprinkling this character you yep. never thought you'd get, sprinkling this guy. Oh, you want that guy? Bomb, bomb, bomb. You know, like got it. You know, because this is season two is shaping up to have some massive cameos, lay some massive groundwork to lay some tracks that we've already laid. Ahsoka Tana's yep. story again. You have an opportunity to introduce her to new fans who have no idea who she is and get people to go back and watch Clone Wars, Rebels, uh, Re- Re- Resistance, all the shows, and really, again, you're just bolstering the love for Star Wars in that universe, and that is the ultimate goal here. I think Dave Filoni has a true passion for that, and as long as he is at the helm, I trust whatever moves are made, you know, and uh, in, in talking moves, we predicted it many, many years ago, mm-hmm. and well, many years ago, many months ago, it feels like years <laughs> ago, but it it, it, it might have been years ago, shit, how long, when did we first start talking Mandalorian, bro, it's it's honestly probably been a year and a half, I yeah, would say. Yeah, it's, it's about a year and a half. So, so years, I was close, round up, <laughs> but uh we discussed when John Favreau got his hands on the Mandalorian initially and it was announced and we got the first teasers out of, out of SDCC and whatnot. We were like, holy shit, this looks like it's going to be amazing. We also found out that each you know episode was going to have a different director. So each vision kind of, uh, what would you do with StarWars.com essentially? 
And one name that as soon as their name got put on that list, I think our ears perked up and immediately said, don't just give him a fucking episode and TV show, give him a goddamn movie, was was the man, Taika Waititi. Mm-hmm. So we avoided talking about it, and now we're talking about it again, and let's just give each other a virtual high five because we have officially hit the same time mark, bam, awesome. as we as we did last time. So we covered our tracks well, I think. The, the, the good thing, you know... Like you said this time and last time, you know, we called the Taika Waititi thing as being the 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 next Star Wars up and comer besides John Favreau. I I really like that that John Favreau is still, you know, he's still filling that producer role that 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 um, the top tier director guy. He's letting Dave Filoni do his thing, um, you know, because obviously Filoni has a big love for Star Wars. Just like we predicted, they used the Mandalorian and then everything that, that Taika Waititi has done in the Marvel Universe to essentially groom him for the next big task, the next big challenge. Especially with how divisive the fan base is right now, Star Wars is the next thing. We have to we have to bring somebody in that can recapture a generation the way that George Lucas did, the way that that um, I'm sorry, but Abrams and um, Ryan Johnson did not capture a generation the same way. The movies, not quite. The movies are not terrible. Don't misunderstand my or mistake my distaste for the movies as saying they are terrible. They are not terrible. They're entertaining. They're just not great Star Wars movies. And there's no way you can. Let's just you know be real for a second. There is no way you can unequivocally do Star Wars, like, how do I word this? You can't go back to that well and expect to please everyone. And, and especially, you can't you can't capture people in the way that you did the first time around. Like, or the magic, because it's the not magic, new. Yes, it's expectation. Um, expectation is fully there of like, oh, it's going to be good. But with Taika, I think you have a very interesting thing here because with Thor Ragnarok being such a great success, because of his input for, you know, Endgame and Infinity War with those characters and being involved in all that and in his work elsewhere with like what we do in the shadows and stuff like he has such a good enough pedigree. Also, Jojo Rabbit, if you Mm -hmm. haven't seen it, is amazing. So, I mean, he has the caliber to direct serious, and he has the caliber to direct funny, and he knows, and he's very on the button. And one thing I really respect and love about him is a lot of times he does CG characters as his cameo as a director. It's unheard of, you know, if a director is going to be on screen. Usually it's like, hey, here's my face being a director, you know. You know, love you, Kevin Smith, but that's kind of a Kevin Smith move. Right. He's not going behind a mask so people don't know it's him. So Taika having Star Wars is like, it's like saying, hey, everybody, okay, there's this sport, and you've never played it before. It looks like the sports you've played before. It looks just like baseball, but there's a T. And I know we call that T-ball, but it's not the same because the game is differently now because the only goal is to just hit it as far as you can. And you don't have to worry about running or anything. There's, It's a different paradigm. The goal is to run as far as you can. And Taika stepped up to the plate and he was like, really? This is all I have to do? Like, I get to exact my vision. I get to create something that I believe in, that I trust in. And my only fear, and I want to say it now because I think we need to stamp these things into the podcast as a way to earmark that we've talked about it and it existed before it happens. I don't want Taika to go the Phil Lord Chris Miller route and end up out. 
you know, and mm-hmm. not a part of the universe because his ideas are too quirky or too different or not what they want, Kathleen Kennedy being the proverbial they that we speak of. I I want it to just be like, no, we said he was going to fucking do the movie. He's going to do it. It's going to be amazing. Let's go get your fucking get ready because it's going to be the tightest b-hole you've ever seen like it's going to be perfection you well know? I, I think there's a there's a lot of things that that kind of line up here to make to make that vision that you have as a fan successful so let's let's hit pause on that real quick let's focus in on you know the 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 direction route that they took with season one of the mandalorian of having different directors episode to episode telling an overarching story but everybody getting to tell their or to put their spin on it what like you know golf clap for golf clap for fucking uh you know uh lucasfilm and disney you couldn't have made a better decision because not every episode is is fantastic but every episode is great um you know not every episode is a blockbuster but every episode would sell out a theater um all across the country today Sell, sell them out with the coronavirus. I'll fucking sit in somebody's lap, like to watch it on a big screen. Oh yeah, oh yeah, dude. Well, okay, let me ask this. That's one thing that I don't think gets enough credit for Mandalorian season one, and I and we maybe briefly touched on it when the series ended, or first the first season ended. But like the episodes are shorter. They are a more controlled length of time. They're not these crazy long episodes. So realistically, man, you make a couple like a uh, like a day out of it, a day event. Like I'm gonna we're gonna show episodes one and two, take a twenty minute break. Mm-hmm. Episodes three and four, twenty minute break. Yep. Four, five and six, you know, so till the end. I'm paying money to go see it. Yeah, absolutely. Because to marathon those in a theater to experience it on that level, there's no question. No, absolutely. Want it. So, so you've got you've got all the success of season one, season two. I, I feel like maybe they're jumping a gun a little bit about how much stuff they're trying to cram into it. But you, you know, like like we've said in the past, they're the ones writing the story. We're the ones just reading it and watching it. So, um, I hope they succeed. Uh, the, the the inclusion of Boba Fett took me by storm. But 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 to the Taika Waititi point, I think. You know what he brought to Thor and Thor Ragnarok, and then, like as you put it, with with Endgame and Infinity War, he essentially Guardians of the Galaxy that character. And, he reinvented it fully. Yep, and I think that you know he has a good relationship with with uh, James Gunn, and you know their stories are very synergistic at this point. Like the 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 Guardians and Thor. They are their stories are intertwined and they have to be related and interact. Otherwise, each direction that they're going is not going to make sense. So, what you have with Star Wars going forward, I think you're going to have maybe a little bit darker tone of a story uh, with Taika Waititi, but full of well written, well written drama, uh, well placed comedy. You know. Beautiful, light-touching yes. heart moments. Yes. Like, it, it'll be the total package. It won't be fantastic, but it'll be good. It'll be great in every aspect that it has. So I think that, um, you know, there's there's no reason to not get super hyped. And, and, and anymore, especially in 2020, like, I, I have to rein myself in on getting hype. Like, the hype is real about a lot of stuff. 
Um, but it's hard to also feel that hype when we're tethered to not go enjoy the hype. And when you get disappointed by like the rise of Skywalker and it's not as good as you thought it was going to be. Like you got to tether the hype. Tethering the hype. You got to tether the yep. hype. Okay. I like that. I like that we are talking about tethering the hype. Uh, with Taika, the thing that I'm really looking forward to is his spin on the space opera mm-hmm. in a bigger ensemble sense. Because even if it's controlled where one character is the main, main focus, you know the point of Star Wars is to have an ensemble piece kind Correct. of. And I think that's a lot of the reason why James Gunn will never, just quote me here, unless something dramatic changes like 40 years from now, James Gunn will never direct a Star Wars movie. Because well, he already has. Yeah, he essentially already does. He already does direct Star Wars movies. They're just not called Star Wars. They're called Guardians of the Galaxy. But that's what he would do. It would not be, not to say it would be bad, but it would not be any different. And then he kind of typecasts himself into only being that kind of director. And that's not what you want to do. So, you know, I'm stoked for Star Wars, bro. That's all I can say about, you know, about that topic right now. I'm glad that we're officially past where we were and we're on to new uncharted (laughs) territories as we tether the hype. Uh, to hype it up though, we have been reading a pretty amazing comic. I think is that is that where we're at in the show now? Probably, th- probably time so. to, to 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 dive into this. So, uh, briefly, some people tuning in last episode didn't hear me until after there was an episode. You guys did a fantastic job of not discussing it, not bringing it up, and it not being a, a thing at all. Um, but there was this like long running 294 joke. Go back, listen to the episode because it's it the whole the whole saga is on there because Brandon did a really great editing job of making sure it's all a part of that. So that's awesome. Thanks to you guys, but we didn't get to do the third issue of our Spider-Man read last week because of it. So to make up for it, we're actually gonna finish something we started. And we're only finishing it because there's no more chapters to read until they release more. Mm-hmm. So we're going to dive deep into the third issue of the Abrams, surprisingly, uh, story, Spider-Man. And I'll read the quick previously, and then we'll start kind of diving into it and talk about your uh, your thoughts on the book But so we know where we left off. Previously, Peter Parker was Spider-Man. He protected New York City and everyone in it. When monstrous cyborg... When, the mo- when monstrous cyborgs cadaverous and his children attacked spider-man was the last hero standing he saved the city but many died that day including peter's wife mary jane ben parker peter and mary jane's son spent most of his childhood under the care of his great aunt may as peter internationally as peter's international reporting kept him far from home ha that's a ha far from home i see Mm -hmm. what they did there uh still distance couldn't keep ben from becoming like his father in some physical spider-like ways. A new friend, Faye Ito, inspired Ben to use his abilities, and luckily Aunt May had an extra spider suit or two around the house. Video of the new Spider-Man saving a man from a building collapse reached across the world to Peter and to Cadaverous. Now, before we get into this next story, bro, what are your thoughts on this book? Uh, I think, in my opinion, this is the weakest of the three. Really? Mm-hmm. I thought, listen, okay, so, and let's have a healthy discussion about this here like we do on this show. To me, I thought this was maybe the strongest of the three, funnily enough. And and, and based on these few factors, another shock death, something I didn't necessarily see coming. Did we ascend, Did we really get that, though? 
Well, I don't think so. <sighs> seemingly, I guess. Okay. Emotional impact of seemingness, right? Because to Ben, he has to think that way. Yes. Right? And we know better because Cadaverous, and that's a whole different game plan. We're going to be getting to that in a second. But, like, then you had the return of an old Avenger, mm-hmm. okay? And we'll dive into that. And that's a cool, big moment that has a lot of heart. And you're just like, oh, man, this would be, if our MCU Tony wasn't dead, we would probably get this scene someday, and it would be fucking awesome, you know? Yeah. Uh, But then you got, and and this is the one thing I thought was the weird, the twist in the last panel of the reveal of, um, of more Avengers, I guess you could say, was a little bit confusing and a weird spot to leave the story. I think that's why we're going to have more questions than answers. Yeah, especially, you know, with 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 the um, continuation of the story, like we don't know, we 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 really don't know where the story is going to go moving forward, and we really don't know when we're going to get the 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 remainder of the books. The conclusion. Because I thought we were supposed to have some book four by now. I think the that Rona set her back. Cause I thought I thought this past Wednesday the fucking what was that the sixth was supposed to be the initial date, but maybe it got pushed to June sixth or something. You look like you're uh, R and D departmenting that. I am. That. I am R and D departmenting it. So the the issue or the 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 thing that I wrote for book four said that it was pushed back to April eighth. And it's May. Well, shit. Does that mean it's out? And I just don't. We didn't. We don't have it. Let me go look. I'm. A, I have to go looking. Now you got me looking. That was pushed back to April eighth, and number five is now scheduled for May twenty seventh. Okay. Yeah. So we should totally have that. Let's. Uh. Let me go look in here and see if I can get a bead on it as we dive in but give give yep. while i'm looking this up give your thoughts on the take on the book and then we'll really unpack her let me pull it up real quick sure so yeah like while while my computer is loading this um i i definitely enjoyed this book don't uh don't don't misunderstand me there i just like the, I, I really, really dug the art here in this book. One thing that I didn't care for was it was kind of hard to read some of the the bubbles. Um, I agree with that. The the cadaverous, uh, you know, robo language is very hard to read uh, most of the time, uh, especially with those grayed those grayed out bubbles. I I don't I don't know why they did that. Um. But I, I'll start. It was a, a creative decision. Yeah, it was not a very good one. Um, starting at the beginning, though, the the cover art of young Ben Parker uh, laying in the rain with Cadaverous's children over top of him. If you if you zoom in and look, one of the things that I really appreciated was his suit. With the way that they have drawn this, this you can actually see the parts of the suit that are baggy. So, like around the wrists, the suit doesn't fit him just right. If you the zoom, ankles. if you zoom around the ankles, you know he's he's fucking hiked those puppies up so they fit. You know, um, I really really appreciated that. Um, as far as the beginning of the book, we get a very uncomfortable uh, 
uh, exchange between Peter and, and, and Ben Jr. And then we get two of the coolest pages that I have ever seen in a comic book. We see young Ben and Peter thrown back from an explosion. And then the very next panel that you see is cadaverous with fucking Peter um, impaled on Wolverine claws. He's been filleted. Yeah. So that, and you're seeing this from Ben's point of view. So the way that they've drawn this, if you look, you're looking at Ben on his hands and knees, but all you can see is Ben's hands and then his dad and cadavers and all that. And then the panel below that is we actually get to see what Ben's face looks like while seeing cadavers' face. Yeah, because the mask is pretty much blown away and he's fully revealed. Yep. Which is a cool, subtle, reminiscent nod to, uh, I think, Spider-Man 2 mm-hmm. uh, in a way. Yep. But uh, this is a very... I love that you brought up the way they drew this with his hands in it and we're getting his perspective. It just makes it real and kind of emotional and you're just like, whoa, like, I couldn't even imagine that. Yep. And, um, yeah, he, you know, essentially says thank you to Ben because Ben uh, led him to Peter in so many ways. Mm-hmm. And then Ben is traumatized now twice over because, as I was saying to him, his mother and his father are dead. Right. And they're together again, and all he can see is this, like, red. And he's really seeing red, you know? And I think it's an interesting thing to point out is is Cadavers is calling Peter the key um, rather than calling him Spider-Man, rather than calling him Peter Parker. He's just referring to him as the key. And uh, we get some scenes with Faye trying to pick up uh, Ben a little bit, make him feel better. Who's Who's obviously just traumatized. And then she kind of like hits the third gear of like, oh, I know who we can go to that could help us. Mm-hmm. And I love how much like this is written as a kid would actually do, like just storm into a fucking building with no care about like a meeting schedule or anything like that, and just be like, I need to see him right now. The dude, you know who I'm looking for. <laughs> Where is Tony Stark? And you're just like, wait, what? We yeah. don't get to see Tony? I didn't expect them to go this direction. Uh-uh. And then to top it off, we don't only get to see Tony. We get to see Ironheart herself, Riri Williams, mm-hmm. um, who's now CEO of Stark Industries. So this is obviously further down the timeline when, obviously, she's been handed the the full reins from Stark. Right. Uh, I love the uh, Iron Man security guards, by the way. I just wanted to mention that. I, they're, just, they're like, I guess they're War Machine security guards. That's what more. it looks like, yeah. Yeah, they kind of have his, maybe that's like some sort of a nod to Rhodey who possibly is deceased in this world. I don't know if we'll know that or not. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. Uh, the next the next page just kind of makes me uncomfortable. Let's talk about it. Tell us about why. So we, you flip over the page and, and what we see next is the, like Peter is in one of these pods where he's got all kinds of tubes hooked up to him. Looks like he's siphoning off his essence. But then, like, like it's just in his chest cavity, and it looks incredibly painful. And then you go um, 
to what Cadaverous refers to as his children, uh, I think. And you see row after row after row of these, like, um, stasis containers, I, I guess. Yeah, they're like pod people. Yeah, and they're all husks. You know, they are all... Um, they're all dead. But all of these tubes are running in multiple tubes into each individual container. Mm-hmm. You know, three or four or five tubes per husk, sometimes six or seven. So it's like, what are they using Peter's body for? Is his DNA the key to maybe bring these people back from the dead because they're from another planet or something? I, I don't I don't know. I just don't know. Yeah, and then we go, we we jump away from Cadaverous again, to, uh, back to uh, Riri, Ben Jr., and Feito, and we see the event, the Fallen Avengers Memorial, which I thought was just kind of lame. I guess it's not really a great memorial when no, you think about it's it. Like they're just standing there, all separate of each other, with their backs to each other, mostly. Yeah, it's just kind of weird. Um, but Riri's like. We need to go down here. You know, the next couple pages are pretty bland. Um, yeah, they're just it's traveling. Just, just dialogue, travel dialogue, you know. Ben is obviously distraught. Riri's like, I'm going to take you to who you want to see, and we get into this underground bunker and see Tony Stark, who is um, like total hipster dad with a man bun. and he's, Also living his best uh, Christian Bale Batman life underground. Yeah, yeah he's just hammered and, and weird, and I don't... This is probably my least favorite version of Tony Stark I have ever seen. But it's like the most real. Like, if he stays alive, if, if, if he goes off into the sunset and doesn't have to you know, snap and beat Thanos and, you know, have the I am Iron Man moment or whatever. If we ever got to this era, all the shit he's seen, he was already kind of a drunk from time to time in his history. Right. It perfectly lines up, especially the isolationism. He's like one of the last Avengers. So he's like, you know, a hot commodity really. But he also knows he has to protect himself because he's not that strong anymore. He's not the guy he used to be. Right. Um, And I love that he doesn't have any idea who the fuck Ben is just signs his fucking face because he thinks he's a fan, which is again very Tony Stark. He's like, I'm drunk, I'm gonna just sign this kid here. And then he's like, This isn't you're not supposed to sign the kid. And then Riri wakes him up, and this is my this was why I really resonated with this book so much. Was the look who I brought line. Mm-hmm. And he opened and Ben opens up the bag to reveal the spider suit, and it just flips Stark on his ass. And he's like, oh, this floor is cold. Like, he doesn't realize the cement floor is cold because he's drunk, of course. And uh, then you kind of start to get the realization that he he's sobering up quickly. This is the quick sober moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, which would, again, very real. You know, oh, a real trauma's happened. This kid's crying in front of me all of a sudden. I need to focus and be in the real world for a moment. Let's let's tune in, you know. Well, and I um, and I, I I love this this little dialogue bubble here. And you, wow, buddy, look at you, so big in your hair, like your mom's. He knows. Yeah, he totally knows. 
Um, and, and then he's re-resonating because 12 years ago when she died, of course, I'm sure he at one point talked to Pete. I don't know if we'll know that or not, but you would have to have assumed mm-hmm. they were on speaking terms. Uh, we leave Ben weeping and uh, Stark asking him what happened and jump right back to the answer of what happened, which is cadaverous. And they still got Parker hooked up to some shit. And a creepy, creepy, like, cadaverous drone, like, fucking scratching the glass and shit. It's just weird. Then we jump back to Tony. And then, you know, he's being Tony eating Zah. Lots of dialogue. This is a very heavy dialogue issue where, you know, you're learning about Cadaverous, and then Stark drops the bombshell of bombshells that Cadaverous is technically Stark technology. Mm-hmm. And it's it's his fault, kind of. Um, but he only knows a couple people in the whole entire world who would even know how to build this with his technology, which limits who it could possibly be. And, uh, of course... Uh, ben wants to find out. Faye wants to find out and help Ben. And uh, Stark is, you know, he's uh, he's trying, I think, in this moment to do his best to be there for Pete or for Ben. Sorry, I'm going to keep doing that. Um but also let him know, like, I can't do anything for you. Like, I'm not the guy that goes and saves the day anymore, kid. That's not my role. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, spider t- senses tingling, and I loved this. I, lo- I love that they kind of delayed a little bit, man. Oh, I did, too. Um, like... I, I, one thing to point out about this this iteration of Tony Stark is like he's obviously got some some like mania um, from living in isolation, only talking to Friday. He's talking in the third person. He says Tony Stark lives in a basement. Like he's referring to himself, his full name, and in third person. Hundred percent, he is on the precipice of insanity. And we hear. Like this, this dialogue bubble where it's like the the words are actually outside of the bubble because it's it's you know it's all red, so we assume it's something cadaverous related. Screaming uh, Stark's name, and then you know we get that very ominous smash at the end, um, and we immediately roll right into a, 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 a group of panels that I didn't really understand. Um. Okay, so I think this is more background of the Mr. Freeze lady of why Cadaverous is doing what he's doing, what the real purpose of the key is. Okay. So, you know, uh, the kid went to Tony Stark. He, he's learned that Ben went to Tony Stark. That could complicate matters. Um, he needed some old friends. And then... We're bubbling back to, I think, the room where Ben and them are. I don't understand what's happening. Um, I'll say this once. So, ears, okay? No way. You have a secret staircase. So, they're going to secretly get out of this uh, basement that everyone thinks Stark is confined to. That He actually has a way out that he's never told anybody. Um, 
but then he's filling in the background and I'll read this panel just so it's 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 as understood as we can make it at the beginning of Stark Industries the very beginning there were two scientists who worked there who taught me uh were kind to me they worked in a special unit not developing warfare but medicine something radiobiological they called it the key so they literally called this project the key mm-hmm. i don't know what exactly they used po- uh what they i don't know what for exactly but they used pods storing people the dying to test the these new ways to help them to heal them but it wasn't right survivors came out wrong corrupted angry and if a few survivors didn't die they withered rotted um Ben, the failed toxin, uh, it later was developed by your grandfather, Richard Parker. So we're learning that in the process, Richard Parker had something to do with it in the early days of Stark Tech, you know, with uh, in the olden days. So that toxin, he based it on his blood. It's in you. It's in your dad. They want him for what? His blood? Who are these people? And then he gives names, Minka Tross and Ivan Renz. Uh, but they were good people, decent, brilliant. They wanted to help heal people, Ben. Um, but, of course, Minka died. Uh, those people in the pods, they killed her almost a century ago. Um, but I don't think we're learning that's the truth at all. I, I will say we're, again, flashing back. I think so. She is in this pod, dude. That's Minka. Mm-hmm. Right, and she's being revitalized by the key, which is Parker's blood, mm-hmm. and she's fully revitalized. She screams, but now her wounds that she was all decrepit are now on Pete, like she transferred, mm. and she's realizing what's happened. Like, <gasps> it worked. The key has worked. Gotcha. So then we go back to Riri Stark they're going they're heading towards the limo to get out and fucking lightning hits the limo kaboom mhm but not just any lightning uh lightning from fucking stormbreaker with nails and shit driven in it yeah like a fucking negan stormbreaker it's like lucille and stormbreaker fucked and had a baby mhm and that's what came out. And then, of course, the undead, roboticized, zombified key versions of the Avengers yeah, ha- are, are here. And, of course, Cadaver says, we must thank you, Peter Parker, for all which comes now is because of you. Because his blood is running through everybody and can revitalize whoever they want. What a weird, what a weird uh, issue. And then, of course, the tease for issue four: there is no winning, only cadaverous, mm-hmm. and that's that's all we know. It is a weird issue, you know, to go back and fully like reflect on it. It's been a couple weeks now at this point since I've 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 read the book. Um, it is still good. I don't think it's maybe as strong as I initially hyped it up to be because there are some moments that are a little slow with the, the amount of dialogue they're cramming because it's like time to tell some story womp uh, which is very watchman of them especially in this book where we have praised it for the most part being a art heavy driven book this required quite a bit of dialogue and I think it took away from the enjoyment a little bit yeah I agree I mean, there are some big moments there, the three key moments that I said uh, that really hit it for me, especially with the beginning with 
Peter, quote unquote, seemingly dying in front of Ben, the explosion and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, plus the reintroduction of a now decrepit, fucked up old man Stark, which is interesting and, you know, an uncharted waters, I guess, in the comics world of Marvel. Um, and then the return of the robotic Avengers or whatever, the cadaverous Avengers, I guess. But uh, I would give this book like a three and a half, ultimately. Wow. It's, it's good. Yeah, it's good. But it's, um, you know what it is? This book is only going to be a three and a half good until I read four and know the result. Yes. And once I get that, I'll be able to reflect on this book a little more and be like, look at the groundwork they laid here. It's actually like a four and a quarter. So that's just being real. That's what I'm thinking is happening here. It's more of a one part of a two part story, leaving that cliffhanger, not really knowing where they're going or why they're going there is kind of flustering. Yeah, I agree. So, uh, yeah, man, that's book three. So now we need to discuss, cause we've only got a few minutes probably here left today. Uh, we need to discuss what we should read next. And I have a couple thoughts on my docket. I know we're reading Spider-Man right now, and we're Spider-heavy, and I and I thought maybe we should stay in that vein until we get the end result of this story. So I went out, and I think I've already sent the link to you, or maybe I didn't, and I intend to. Uh, I've gotten us a copy of Craven's Last Hunt. Uh, you did not send that to me. Okay, well, I will be sending it to you, my Hell friend. Yeah. Uh to dish for a second on those who may not know about Craven's Last Hunt, it was a multi-book arc taking place over Amazing Spider-Man, Spectacular Spider-Man, Spider-Man, Peter Parker. The spect- I think it was the Spectacular Peter Parker or Peter Parker the Spectacular Spider-Man. That's it's 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 hard to recall. Um, but it was a six-part series: Black Suit Spider-Man and Craven going head-to-head. Web of Spider-Man also being a part of it. Um, it is a very spectacular story. It is one of those stories that kind of has stood the test of time. Anytime someone brings up Craven, it's, Hey, they should do Craven's last hunt as a story. It would be great. There are a lot of reasons to suspect and believe that we could be on a collision course with this story in the MCU in the coming months when we start to learn more and more about Spider-Man three. But what are your thoughts on that? Doing Craven's Uh, last hunt. You sign me up, sign you up. Okay. So yeah, for those of you who don't know, uh, we'll be doing Craven's Last Hunt. We will do it issue at a time, so we'll go over six weeks. We'll cover it one by one, um, unfold it. It's from, I think, 1984 or 85. It's an old-ass fucking run, dude. It's cool. old. I, I have, I think I have, like, three of the issues just in the Amazing Spider-Man series or two of the issues, but I didn't have the full entire run ever. So to be able to fully complete this story is going to be really, really cool for me. Um yeah, part five is uh, amazing, and then part six was, what was it, Webb or... Oh, Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man was the final part. But yeah, uh, the story is phenomenal. It has a lot of uh, a lot of depth that I think that this show is going to be enjoying covering and talking about. So I can't wait to get into that. That's going to be on our road to 300, bro. Mm-hmm. Can you believe that? I obviously haven't been here for all 300. Um, but Neither have I, shockingly. <laughs> but, uh, man, I'm, I'm excited. Me too. I think I want to plan some sort of, like, 
if we can hopefully get Brando on and get everybody on like almost a supercast level of thing mm-hmm. with the right people, like I want it to be like my favorite JIC co-host slash guest. So essentially just you and Brando. sorry everybody else that's a joke uh but no i just figure we can like reach out to people see who wants to do something if they can't do something we're planning on doing it maybe they can pre-record something it's all going to be over the internet right now anyways which was not my plan for 300 at all i actually had some kind of cool ideas that i was hoping to execute that are not going to happen now so i i think uh i think we could take this one home ty i agree okay all right he, the the stepdad called it. He said, <laughs> "Get Take the car. That shit home. Get in the fucking car and quit crying." All right. So, for those of you who already know and those of you who don't know, check out the Journey into Comics Network, the Journey into Comics podcast, all the amazing shows at journeyintocomics.com. Also, get us on Apple Music, Podbean, Stitcher Radio, Google Play Music, Spotify, Castbox, TuneIn, many others. Possibly iHeartRadio. I don't know about that last one. You'll have to figure it out. I put in a thing for it. I don't know if we're official yet. I'm still waiting on the official. So anyways, you guys can check us out there. Just search Journey into Comics Network. I think that's going to do it for 295. TY, you got anything else to add before we rock out of here? Nope, that's it. All right, man. Well, thank you for being inspirational. I look forward to continuing to hear about your journey uh, with your with your healthy change and your diet and everything. Thank you. Let us know how your broccoli additions go <laughs> if you choose to take that route. Um, and don't deep fl- don't don't deep fry the cauliflower because it will defeat the, the purpose. <laughs> It'll defeat the purpose for you. Uh, you know what you could do? Make a cauliflower mash, bro. That's yeah, the bomb. I've, I've like heard, a mashed potato thing. Oh, but I don't like cauliflower like at all. So well, um, you can flavor it good though. I thought about trying the riced cauliflower, or I thought about getting some cauliflower and actually ricing it. Have you have you seen that? No. You but you basically take a head of cauliflower and you run it through like a big microplane grater and what you get is little little granules of uh cauliflower that look like grains of rice. Ah. And as you as you boil them or steam them, however you cook them, it's this it's almost the exact same texture as rice, you know, cuz cuz cauliflower is kind of starchy sometimes too, so Yeah. Um it's very very similar. I it, it's I've seen it in the the grocery store in the frozen food section, riced cauliflower that you can buy already. Mm-hmm. So, I I might give that a try. I don't know. Shit, sounds good. Mm-hmm. Sounds like something I need in my life. Yee yee. Hell yeah, man. All right, well, Ty, thank you so much again for joining us on JIC. Thank you. I as always have been Nate. We're gonna go ahead and send this one home now. This is Journey into Comics two hundred ninety five, tethering the hype. I've been Nate. I've been T.Y. We'll see you guys later. As always, you know the drill. Pop your caps back, fill your brains with that good, good shit. Later, guys. Get in the car.